wasn't, so. I'm going to start with a word of caution. You probably won't enjoy this sermon. And there's two carnal reactions that may occur, and I'll ask you to avoid both of them. One, he's picking on me. And then you just kind of shut down because you don't like being picked on. I can assure you, I'm not picking on anybody individually. He's applied to everybody. The other is, I sure am glad he's talking about it. So-and-so needs to hear it. You're the so-and-so. We're not here for other people's benefit. We're here for the Lord to convict us individually. Learn more about Him and about how we can serve Him better. And so, yes, you may feel like I'm picking on you. I'm not. You may feel like so-and-so needs to hear it. They probably do, but so do you. All right? Ephesians chapter 5, if I had to title this message, and you won't probably get this for a few minutes, but if I had to title, I'd call it a Cornbread and Commitment. Alright? Let's go. Ephesians chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now y'all know been around me long enough that whenever I hear a therefore or a wherefore or because of, I'm going to say you need to go read what's come before. So in addition to your regular weekly reading of finishing Genesis today, or this week, 24 through the end of Genesis, I want you to read Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 in their entirety. All right. <coughs> if feel spunky, go ahead and read 1 through 3 too, but 4, 5, and 6 is what I want you to focus on. So you can have the therefore. Be therefore followers of God. You know what it means to be a follower? Literally, it means to imitate. Act like Him. Do what He would do. Speak like Him. To be a follower of God is to try to imitate Him. As dear children, and walk in love. That's not just speaking in love, but that is in everything that you do. Your manner of life, your carrying around, deed and in truth, walking in love. Following God, walking in love, as Christ hath loved us. That's your example for love. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Christ was a self-sacrificial, giving of self, love. But fornication and all uncleanness... And, or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. This is exhortations to purity. Filthiness, sorry, fornication, this is bodily purity. You are not using or abusing your body in any way that does not please the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's a very broad topic. I would suspect that anyone who's an adult knows exactly what I'm talking about and the wide range that we're talking about. And so I'm not going to spend much time on it. If you have questions about scope, I'm more than willing to discuss. (coughs) Bodily purity, all uncleanness 
or covetousness. Uncleanness, that could be referring to bodily, but most likely it's issues of the heart, issues of the mind. The Pharisees were described as having whited sepulchers that on the outside they looked good. They were doing the right things. They looked religious. But Jesus said that on the inside they were full of all uncleanness, like a, like a tomb. looks nice and pretty. It's been whitewashed, but on the inside it's full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. All right, and the word uncleanness literally means impurity, that which is foul or lewd. The things that you would have engaged in before you were born again. Fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness. Covetousness. Covetousness is, is greed. It is using fraud or extortion to get what you want, to have unjust gain, caring about money more than you should. These are three big, broad categories And it doesn't just say, you really ought not do it. It says, these don't need to be named among you, not even once. This is the basics. This is the first things. Those right arms that cause you to offend and right eyes, the things, the sins that you need to start to cut off, start here. These are, in a sense, the easy ones because they're so big. And these don't need to be mentioned among the saints of God, not even once. Right? It not once be named among you as becometh saints. And it goes on, and it describes purity of your mouth. <clears throat> Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. So we've discussed uncleanness in body, uncleanness in mind, and now you've got an uncleanness in your mouth. Filthiness means uh, shameful obscenity. I don't care if you're using a cuss word or a substitute or a cuss word or you're just saying things that you don't need to be saying that are obscene or vile. That's not what the Lord gave us mouth for. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Um, Strong's uses the word buffoonery, um, which may be too lighthearted for you and I. But it means speaking as a fool, heedless. The fool has no wisdom, right? Nor jesting. Jesting, you can think of that like verbal jousting, verbal sparring, witticisms. I can one-up you and you can one-up me. And blah, 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 blah. Very, very entertaining. That's not what we're for. We're not trying to cut each other with our tongues so you can have the last quip. Which are not convenient. All three of them, not convenient. Convenient being fit or proper. But rather giving a thanks. That's what our mouth is for. The giving of thanks. Always. And that giving of thanks is to be actively grateful, which is an act of worship. You worship the Lord with your mind, with your body, and with your mouth. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Notice those three things. Match back up to fornication, whoremonger, uncleanness, unclean man, covetous, covetous man, who is an idolater. An idolater, these are someone who has put anything in place of God. All three of those put something in place of God. Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? 
Let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived by someone who tries to teach you differently. Vain, empty, worthless words. Who says that you can have those things and still be a follower of God. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. These are evidences that you are a child of disobedience, that you are still dead in trespasses and sins. This is what God is punishing, these types of behaviors. They don't need to be named among us even once. Be ye therefore, therefore, read back again, because of all that, don't be partakers with them. And that partakers means co-participants. It's the same word that um, Paul would use earlier in Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 6 to describe that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That's what we're partakers of. We're co-participants in Christ, not in these things of the world. Verse 8 says, For ye were sometime darkness, sometime in the past, before you were born again, that was when you were darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then in parentheses you have, For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, which is doing that which is right or equitable, fair, just, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. So as you're walking as children of the light, move beyond the parentheses to verse 10, as walking children of the light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving means to discern, to detest, not to detest, but to test. To be able to see clearly what is the acceptable will of the Lord. What is acceptable unto the Lord. And having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. So you're not participating in these. Rather, you're one to rebuke them. Okay? For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. They're made visible. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So by your reproving those things, it's an evidence that you're walking in the light. You're shining the light on that which is wrong, which people would rather keep concealed and continue to do. Those things are shameful. Verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly. Circumspectly means alert. Diligently. Walking with maturity. You're awake. You've been awakened. Walk that way. Not as fools. Remember last week when we talked about the way of holiness, the, the fools wouldn't stagger thereon. They wouldn't be erring therein. You get the image of the fool wandering back and swaying back and forth like he's drunk. Like a, you put the bumpers up in a bowling alley and you just wag it against the side and doop, 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 doop. Right? That's not how you and I are to walk. We're to walk circumspectly and as wise Alert, using the wisdom the Lord's given us, and doing what? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. All right. Redeeming the time. It's a nice catchphrase among Christianity, right? I'm going to redeem the time. Here's another way to think about it to rescue from loss. 
and time could also be season or opportunity. Are you rescuing the opportunities in your life from loss because you're alert, walking in wisdom, you see them, or are you like the fool who's staggering with his head in the daze, drunkenly distracted, not paying attention, and though these chances and opportunities are being lost? Redeeming the time to rescue from loss. Wherefore, be not unwise. So you should be wise, right? The wise would, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Before we were proving what's acceptable of the Lord, here in wisdom we're understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. And this, this word excess is interesting. It's a compound word in Greek. One is not. Okay, that's pretty easy. The other word is the same one that we get saved, delivered. You're acting in a way like you're not saved. Now, I'm not saying that this is having an impact on your immortal destination. Christ took care of that. But this is what it looks like when you're not. Not delivered. Looking like an unregenerated person. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Not to be seen of men. It's not even talking about here at church. This is talking about making it within your heart, in your day-to-day life, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, being filled with the Spirit rather than the things of this world, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, and submitting one to another here below. So that submission could be taken in the form of Submitting to the the church's decisions. They decided to do something. It wasn't what you suggested. Who cares? You submit. It could be obeying the teaching. It's coming from the Word. Got to submit. A church that's full of people who are lifted up in pride and each one thinking they're the most important, it's not really a church. And it won't go far. But if you you and I are each submitting to each other, and then submitting to the Lord, it can thrive. So thinking about all the admonitions within these verses, I'm going to get to my cornbread. Okay, I want you to think about a spectrum. All right? You have a range for where you and I fall in our service to the Lord, and we're going to think specifically this morning about when we come to church. Okay? On one end of the spectrum, you have a church member who is disengaged. Okay? Somewhere around the middle, and maybe the majority would be present, but. Look at that title, President But. And then somewhere on the other end of the spectrum is committed. Right. I'm going to be speaking in generalizations. Again, I'm not picking on anybody. 
but I'm also not talking to your neighbor. Okay? So as I'm trying to think about, and then I'll give the illustration after I give the first one about the cornbread. You'll see how it ties in. If I think about this end of the spectrum, one who's disengaged, what, is that, what does that look like? Again, generalizations here. These may not apply to everybody or anybody, but I want us to be thinking about this. Okay? The disengaged church members. Attendance. We'll attend church occasionally, as long as there's nothing better to do, which may just include sleep. Likely, doesn't show up on time. Why? Church isn't a priority in their life. That shows. Giving may not give anything to support the church, or very infrequently support the church or to support individual needs within the church. Participation during the service, likely glassy-eyed, possibly asleep, maybe not singing at all, doesn't pray on the inside when someone's praying on the outside, certainly doesn't volunteer to participate, men, or lead singing, or give exhortations. Right? How about in fellowship afterwards? Really doesn't have any interest in talking to others. <laughs> kind of avoids fellowship opportunities, meals, Bible studies. Isn't aware, and may not even care, about the needs of others in the church. You say, this is kind of a harsh picture. I'm, I'm kind of describing worst-case scenario here, but that's okay. These are, these are attributes that are, that are worrisome. How about during the week? During the week, you're not walking as a children of light. And mind, body, and mouth. Likely there's no personal Bible reading time. Likely there's no personal prayer. Likely there's no family devotion time. Likely you're consuming vile and obscene media. Likely no thought given to the church during the week. Likely no steps taken to prepare your heart before you come to service. Likely stays up way too late on a Saturday night. Okay. Does that sound like an accurate depiction of someone who's just pretty disengaged from the church? Name's on the roll. Okay. All right, cornbread. Imagine our goal here Sunday morning is to make some cornbread. Now imagine you've got a nice cast iron skillet. And what have you done with that skillet during the week? You've left it out in the rain. You've made mud pies with that skillet. So come Sunday morning, you take that muddy, rusty skillet, you put it on the counter, throw some cornmeal in there, maybe a little water, pop it open the oven, which is off, close the door, wait a little bit, open it up. What do you have? Soggy? Nasty, muddy, mush, right? I didn't get anything out of church. No, you didn't. I don't have anything I want to share with anybody. No, you don't. Right? You may say, I don't, I don't really fully understand your metaphor. Metaphor is just silly, but it's a way to think about of what are we doing in advance before we get here, Okay? If we're taking our, our body 
like that skillet and just using it like the things of the world. And that, that mud, let's say for that illustration, those are those, those gross things. Those things that not once need to be named among you. But that's what we're doing. We're making mud pies. Cornbread's going to taste muddy. It's not going to be satisfying. You're going to have you know, rust in it from the rain. Okay, that's one end of the spectrum. Let's come in somewhat. All right, we're going to call this one present but. All right, present but. Someone who's present likely attends church pretty reliably, as long as it's convenient. If something better comes along, yeah, okay, we'll skip. Probably it's the Sunday morning service that's most convenient. Right? Stays for some meals, occasionally. Church may be at this point mostly a habit or a duty. All right? You may arrive a few minutes late, but hey, I made it. I'm certainly better than disengaged, so I'm doing all right. Participation for the present but. I've got, I've got two different ditches here. One is, I'm present and I'm here for my worship and it's all about me and God. And so anything positive is spoken to me. But if anything negative, well, that's a message for my neighbor. Right? I sure wish so-and-so was here. They'd hear it. Those are two different ditches. It's not all about me. And the convicting part is certainly not all about my neighbor, right? What about my singing? I may sing. It may be half-hearted. It may be mechanical. It may be just going through the motions. Giving? I'll probably give some. Um, maybe it's out of duty. Not really out of cheerfulness. Probably inconsistent. How about my fellowship? I'm probably not really interested in discussing the things of the Lord with anybody. I'm happy to chat. Fellowship, that's nice. We'll, we'll visit. Let's talk about anything you want other than that. Let's keep it light. I'll be civil. I'll be polite. We'll talk about whatever. Interactions with other members likely will only take place here within the church. You may even be one who sees needs among you. That's good. But you won't be the one to volunteer to fill it. You'll send somebody. Somebody go take care of it. Okay? How about at home? What does that look like during the week? You likely avoid the biggies. The real gross mud. The fornication. The drunkenness. The theft. The murder. You know, the things that are just really filling mud in that cast iron pot, you probably avoid those. What are the things of the heart? Attitude. How we treat people. Maybe we're not there yet. You may read your Bible on occasion. Whether that's once a month or once a week or maybe even once a day. Occasionally. It's likely inconsistent. You may pray, sometimes in addition to meals. You may often think that it's going through the motions. 
your prayers are cold. You may, you may not consume vile media. I think you know what I mean by vile media. Things that are just raunchy over the top, blood, guts, nudity. But you still consume a large amount of media. Worthless, vain things. If you're watching you know, one movie a night, how many hours does that add up to in a week? About 14 hours of your time. You're filling your eyes and ears and your brain largely with worthless stuff. Okay. How's that play out in our cornbread analogy? You've taken your muddy cast iron skillet and you've run some water through it. you washed it out. That's good. Probably still got some rust on the bottom. All right. You fill your pan with, with ingredients. More than just water and cornmeal, but maybe it's just kind of a minimal. Smallest batch you can get away with. You put it into a cold oven on Sunday morning, and you turn it on. That's good. That's better. You wait the requisite amount of time, which may change. The temperature you set it to may change week to week. Maybe it's 100 this week for 20 minutes. Maybe it's 400 for 30 the next. It's not consistent. And what will your results be? It varies, right? Sometimes it may be edible. Sometimes it may be garbage. And you may be frustrated by the results. And so, the far end of the spectrum is committed. And I use that word committed on purpose. Because while in order for us to have a successful worship service, the Holy Spirit has to be here. You don't have control over the Holy Spirit, nor do I. But there are things in your life that you do have control over. And so those things that were within our control, we need to be focused and committed to taking care of those. In Job 31 and verse 1, Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why therefore should I think upon a maid? He had made a covenant that he was not going to sin by looking at another woman and lusting after her. Jesus said that to, to look and lust after another person is the same as committing fornication or adultery with them in your heart. He had made a covenant. He had made a commitment not to do that. And so... You and I have made a commitment to serve the Lord. To love Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and body. That's what we're called to do. And so my question to you this morning is are we really committed to doing that? It's what we need to do, but are we committed to it? Are we willing to follow through on that? I will do this. So what does the, the committed person look like? Attendance. Doors are open. If it's at all humanly possible, I'll be there. Okay. Guys, I know there are exceptions. But I'm talking about the tenor of your life. The general attitude and approach is if it's open, 
I want to be there. I want to be there. I'm committed to be there. And not just there, I'm going to show up. Show up early. And I'm looking for opportunities to serve. Whether it's a worship service, Bible study, prayer meeting, cleaning day, whatever it is. Why? Because the church is a blessing and a privilege. And keeping that attitude and having that attitude is very different than a duty or, at best, a nuisance. Depending on where you are at the spectrum. I want to gather with the saints. And I want to enter the doors ready to worship. What does a committed person's participation look like? You're singing with gusto. Gusto mean, it means, means you're singing to the Lord with abandon. You don't care if you sound like a dying frog. <laughs> Not all of us have been given opera voices. That's up to the Lord. But we use what He gave us. So you're singing with your heart. The lyrics that are in these songs, they matter. Right? I don't care if you've got the exact right note if you are dwelling on these songs and lifting up these words to the Lord. It's not to me, it's not to who's around you. You're singing to the Lord. If you're praying with fervor, now whether that's you've been called on to pray out loud, pray out loud with fervor, with intensity. If you're sitting there silently praying along, pray intensely. Focus. This is not your opportunity to think about, did I do all the things I need to? Do I got the stuff for lunch? Did I shut the car off? I mean, all the things that we allow our mind to go, right? When we're not focused, when we're not being circumspect and alert to the task at hand, we're here to worship the Lord. Singing with gusto, prayer with fervor, ready with a word of encouragement or exhortation, particularly men, during the service itself. All right? It is well okay for someone to say, hey, I've got something I want to share. Great. Listening during the service. With the attitude of not for my neighbor, but what do I need to take away from the message? What is the Lord trying to teach me? What does His Word say here? Both good and critical. Sometimes we just want to have the encouragement apply, right? And the critical apply to somebody else. How do I take both? And then not only that, hearing it, how do I apply it? Actively thinking, how do I apply it? Someone who's committed. How about in fellowship time? Not focused on self. Right? You're focused on others. For love's sake, and the love of the brothers and sisters is a characteristic. That's a trademark of being a born-again child of God. Is your love for the saints. For love's sake, you're going to desire each member's personal growth and maturity. And you care deeply about them. And their walk with the Lord. And if that's your attitude... Guess what? That'll change what you'll spend your time talking about. Not on you, but on them. Not on light and fluffy stuff, but on things that matter. Willing to dive deep. To share hard truths. And be even willing to confess your own faults. Likely, these are conversations that will happen outside of church service. You know, big public settings, sometimes that's not the best time to have these. But in your small conversation you have in the lunchroom, you can learn things and know, I can follow up and I can help. I can share how I went through this sin and how I struggled with it and how the Lord brought me out of it. That involves being vulnerable and taking the initiative and doing all those things that you only really do if you're committed to it. 
Okay. Committed person is going to see needs and regularly meet them. The ones they can meet individually, they'll meet. The ones they can't and need help, they get help. But it's not just a passing of the buck. But where does all that start? It starts at home and the rest of the week where you are thoughtfully considering both your body and how are you using it, but your mind and your heart and your mouth, right? During the whole week. You're praying daily, not mechanically. Is it saying that every prayer that a committed person has is not mechanical? No. But if you are praying mechanically, know that that's not right. That's not enough. It's not just checking the box. Sometimes you just have to pray, Lord, help me pray. Lord, teach me how to pray. Same thing with reading. You're reading every day with a purpose. Lord, I want to learn more about you. I want to learn more about what I'm doing that's not pleasing you so I can please you better. Reading with a purpose. If you're getting glassy out of the reading, stop. Pray. It's not about checking the box. How about in your mind and your heart? You're striving to dwell on the good things. Right? That's what the whole Philippian uh, note there at the end of 4. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. So as you're trying to think of the songs and melody and hymns and making melody within your heart to the Lord, you're thinking on the right things, on the positive things, on the things of the Lord. Okay? And throughout the week, the service is on your mind. I'm coming to the house to worship. I'm thinking logistics, making sure I've got what I need for lunch. Okay. Making sure I'm getting enough sleep on Saturday night. Be praying for the service itself. Be praying for your pastor. Be praying for the other members. Let's take some effort. You have to be committed. And if you are committed, these are some of the things that you'll be doing. Okay? How about your cornbread? Okay. You've already washed the mud out of your pan. That's great. But now you've started looking for spots of rust. Okay? Those little imperfections, the little areas of sin, the ones that are harder to see, and you know what? They're harder to get rid of. All right? I was reading, how do you clean up cast iron? I said, well, for little spots, you get the steel wool and some elbow grease. And go to town. For bigger spots, apparently you're supposed to soak it in like acid or vinegar or something for a time and then go to town. But those little areas of our life, and I use the term little in comparison, so forgive me on that, the areas of our life where we're not walking like we should, where we're impure in our hearts and our thoughts and our attitudes, the areas where we still need to grow, we're recognizing those, looking for them instead of trying to hide them and looking at everyone else's cast iron pot and they got rust all over it. But working on those so that you're coming not only with a clean dish, or as clean as you can make it, and it's my wife. She she pops that sucker in the oven before we come, right? Preheats the cast iron before she puts the batter in for cornbread. 
got the oven on to the right temperature and you put that thing in there and you're preheating it, both the oven and the pan. She takes it out and she puts some butter in there and melts it and swirls it around so the bread don't stick. Puts in the right batter and the ingredients in the right amount, same way, every time. I don't know exactly her recipe, but I like it. Puts it in, puts it at the right temperature where it's already at, and then stays around to make sure it comes out at the right time. And every time, it's consistently good. And not only do we enjoy it, but we already have, we have something to share. Right? And so, and you say, Brother John, that's, that's kind of a silly metaphor. Okay. That may be. But I've been thinking about it all week, and I've just enjoyed <laughs> thinking about it. So maybe it'll help you think about this message during the rest of the week. So I didn't understand that cornbread thing, but I got the rest of it. That's fine. <laughs> Redeeming the time. Are there opportunities in your week you're just letting it go where you're losing the time? Now you say, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be His follower. What am I willing to give Him? I did a little math. I like Excel spreadsheets, so forgive me. Assuming you sleep eight hours a day, according to my math, that leaves you 112 hours during the week that you're awake. 112 hours. So our disengaged person who shows up for one 90-minute service, doesn't read the Bible during the week, or anything else, that's your entire time that you're giving to the Lord. That's about 1% of your waking time. In comparison, if you come to two services, sit through one meal, and you pray or read for 30 minutes a day, you're up to 5% of your week. If you come to three services, two meals, this is all the corporate worship that we're having right now, three services in a week and two meals, and then you're reading and praying for a total of 60 minutes a day. That gets you up to a little bit over 10%, nearly 11% of your week. Now, I know we're not bound by tithing. We're to give of a cheerful heart. And that's often used just in terms of money, but what are you really giving of your time? <clears throat> I claim the Lord's the most important thing in my life. Less than 1% of my time? 5% of my time? Or is 10% a good starting point? Go with me to Romans chapter 13. pick up at verse 8. Romans 13 and 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Same focus on love. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill will to his neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that it is, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer, than when we believed. 
The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, it's partying, drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, it's fornication, or in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. This is your wake-up call. The night is far spent. That's saying the time until Christ comes back, it's drawing short. The day spring, when Jesus returns, it's drawing close. We don't need to act like children of the world, walking in darkness and engaging in what they do. We need to be walking as children of light, waiting for our Master to come. He's coming. Let's make it today that we're committed to faithfully serve Him. It's high time to awake out of sleep. I'm going to read something to you. This is not Scripture, but I agree with it. God of infinite mercy and grace has been pleased to spare a few of us unworthy creatures, having as we trust, called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of His dear Son, plucking us as firebrands from the eternal burning hell, and placing our feet upon the rock of ages, Christ Jesus. We therefore believe it is our duty, and I'm going to use the word responsibility, so our responsibility is in the presence of the great God, who is the searcher of our hearts, to covenant and agree, one with another, to maintain the great responsibilities of religion, First, our responsibility towards God. Second, our responsibility towards one another. Third, our responsibility toward the church, towards God. We will endeavor through grace to assemble ourselves together in order to worship Him. We and as many of our families and friends as can be induced or influenced by our precepts and examples to hold up the worship of God. We will be careful to extract them in the principles of Christianity as far as it may please God to give light and ability to be careful to observe the Lord's day and keep it holy, to fill our seats in the house of God, to not absence ourselves from the communion of the Lord's Supper without a lawful excuse, to proclaim the gospel of salvation by grace through Jesus Christ our Lord, both near and abroad, and to call upon His name and celebrate His promises toward one another. We will endeavor, through grace and divine assistance, to promote the cause and interest of one another, as far as it is consistent with God's glory and our good, to watch over one another in brotherly love, to pray for and with one another, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the rules of our Savior, to receive it without delay. And if need be, in the most tender and affectionate manner, to reprove one another. That is, if we discover anything amiss in a brother, to go and tell him his fault, according to the direction given by our Lord in the 18th chapter of Matthew. And to not be whispering and backbiting, should it please God to call any of us by death, where provisions are not made, and necessity requires it, we believe it's our duty that children of the deceased be put in the care of the church, that they may brought up, they be brought up in the fear of the Lord. Third, our duty towards the church. We endeavor by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, 
to strive for the furtherance of God's kingdom in the earth, in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its welfare and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We also agree to contribute cheerfully and regularly to our minister's necessities, to the expenses of the church, to the relief of the poor, and to the spreading of the gospel at home and abroad, as much as in us lies. We also endeavor to maintain family and private devotion, to religiously educate our children, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our deportment, means how we carry ourselves, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. Believing that these duties and all others that God hath appointed in his word are required of us, we will endeavor to comply with them, and in testimony the same have set our hands, believing it is appointed of God and ratified in heaven. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. That is your church covenant. That is my church covenant. I didn't write it, but I agree with it. When we become members of this church, this is what we are committing to uphold. It's probably been several years since anyone read it. I'll pin a copy back up on the bulletin board. If anyone wants a hard copy, I can do that too. It's a good summary. It's not everything. But it's a good starting point to get us thinking about what does it look like to be committed. Thank you all for your time and attention. Anybody have a number you'd like to see in closing?